to everyone this evening, and uh, so good to see all of you, and with it being a holiday weekend, I know we've got folks that are out of town, some may just be pretending to be out of town, but that's okay, you and I are here, and of course, most importantly, Jesus is here, so to those of you that are watching Online again to those of you that uh, would be here, but maybe you were here this morning and weren't sure about space. We welcome you as a part of the service this evening as well. I'm going to give you a little bit of an opening uh, introduction um, to my message. It's not really my message, but. The church has been given a commission to go. That's our mission. That's our commission. Go. But there's not a whole lot of point to going if you're not being. Public service announcement. This is not a fun holiday weekend lighthearted message tonight. I'll say it again. There's not a whole lot of point to going if you're not being. In 2 Samuel 23, and I'm not going to read this so you, you folks in the media uh, don't worry about trying to find it. I'm just referencing it. But 2 Samuel 23 and verses 11 and 12. In 2 Samuel 23, it talks about David's mighty men. There's three mighty men that were mentioned. And one of those, if I'm not mistaken, it's the second or the third one mentioned. His name is Shema. And he was mentioned as one of David's mighty men because he stood on a piece of ground and fought a bunch of Philistines to maintain that ground. The King James says that there were lentils or beans on that ground. If you study it a little bit, it says that it may have been barley or barley and beans, but either way, he stood there and fought single-handedly against a group of Philistines. I can't remember if it says how many. Well, since you all went there anyway. Verse 11. And the Philistines were gathered together in a troop. I don't know exactly how many were in the troop, but it implies more than a couple of guys. And he stood there and fought for that ground all by himself to hold the ground. Sometimes spiritual warfare is not taking territory. It's not letting go of territory. I believe it was under David's kingship, if I'm not mistaken, is the time of the story. But the Bible tells of a messenger, there was a message that needed to be delivered and there was a messenger in the room and he was so anxious to want to deliver the message 
But the problem was he didn't have the message. He just wanted to go. And I guess because of the intensity of his zeal, they finally said, go. And he takes off running. And he was, if I'm not mistaken, the first messenger to arrive. And they saw him coming as the messenger and no doubt got a little bit excited because here comes the message. And he shows up and the problem was he didn't have a message. So I'm going to say it again. As much as we should be going, we need to make sure that we don't stop being. James 4, 7, and this still is just introductory. James 4, 7, very important verse for all of us. In our walk with God says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I've heard most of my life the second half of that verse quoted. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There is a qualification to that. If you're going to resist him and he's going to flee, you've got to first submit to God. Because if you're not submitted to God, there's not going to be any resisting. That word resist means to stand against. It's it's translated in the King James as resist or as withstand. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 6.13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Let me tell you, some of you folks get a little discouraged sometimes because you're not taking new territory, you're just still standing. Don't let the devil discourage you or cause condemnation because you're still standing. Sometimes the victory is not taking new ground. The victory is just not giving up ground. Sometimes the goal is not to get new territory. It's just to make sure you don't give up the territory you have. And so Paul says, sometimes when you've done everything to withstand, at the end of it all, you just stand. Last man standing wins. <laughs> and so, I, uh, I don't, some of you were here years ago when I, Took my shirt off, my outward shirt. And I had my Under Armour Protect This House shirt underneath. I almost broke it back out again, but it's kind of black and gray, and that doesn't really go with the blue, and I was more about patriotic theme today than I was about that. But I've come tonight, I trust, to the best of my ability. You may not really understand what all I mean by that and the importance of that statement to me, but I've come to the best of my ability tonight to preach what I feel like the Holy Ghost has given me. And I'm just going to tell you in advance, some of that's going to be standing for some ground. 
And I know the crowd is small because the combination of COVID and July 4th, but as my dad has said many times, I just work here. So if you would stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, 2 Samuel 6, and I'm going to begin reading with verse number 17, 2 Samuel 6, beginning with verse number 17. give you a little bit of a context if you're not familiar with the story we're about to read the ark of the covenant had been taken away from the children of Israel it had spent some time in the house of Obed-Edom where it was reported to David that the house of Obed-Edom was being greatly blessed and that was simply because the presence of God was there and so they've gone to get the ark and they're in the process of bringing the ark back to where it belongs And so verse number 17, And they brought in the ark of the Lord and sat it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And side note, the verses before this, I don't know how long the journey was, but in the process of bringing the ark back, the Bible says, that they would take six steps, two, three, four, five. I'm taking small steps because I'm getting closer to Brother Isaac. I should go the other way. One, two, three, four, five, six. They would take six steps and offer sacrifices and worship and praise God. And then they'd go six more steps and offer Worship and sacrifices and six more steps. They did that the entire trip. And some want to say that we worship too much or we sing too much. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched to, had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, every one to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how, and this is, as Bishop would say, sarcasm alert, how glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of, of the handmaids of his servants, and as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And let me just insert, I've heard it and I've said it many times that he was naked, danced naked. If you dig into this, it, that's not, it doesn't mean he was 
buck naked? Is it butt or buck? I've always get confused. At least I got a little bit of interaction from y'all, finally. He, he wasn't nude. If you study the context of what it's saying was, he took off his priestly garments. As I was preparing for tonight, I, I, I don't know when it'll happen, but I, I got some good leadership teaching. He did not let his position. I'll give you a, a, a preview trailer. He did not let his position prevent him from being a worshiper. He did not let his position supersede his worship. So he wasn't nude. He laid aside the garments that, that defined him as king. He laid aside his reputation. You un- and so she says, you uncovered yourself before the handmaids. And David said unto Michael, it was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And I want you to notice David's response to her criticism, her sarcasm. Verse number 22 And I will yet be more vile than thus. And there's another word that in the context of our English language today is not a very positive word. And so the word vile there is not that I'm going to be more inappropriate. He was basically saying, you haven't seen anything yet. I will be more vile than thus and will be base in my own sight. That's interesting. You can be base in others' sight and still be okay in your own. But he said, I'm going to go another step. I'm going to be base in my own sight. Everything I was doing so far, I just thought it was normal. You thought it was too much. I thought it was normal. So I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to be base in my own sight and of the hand and of the maid servants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be head in honor. Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had to child, had no child unto the day of her death. God bless you. You may be seated. His response, just in case, and I've preached this verses before and used it with worship, but hold on, please, I'm not here tonight to preach about worship. But I want you to notice what David's response was to the attitude of Michael, his wife. How glorious was the king today doing his thing. How, 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 just how wonderful was that? And rather than saying to her, you know what, babe? <laughs> I don't know if they said babe back then or not. If you think, or if I, if I bothered you by that, I am so sorry. 
Let me go get my kingly robe and put it back on. Let me, let me go fix my hair and get back together because I don't want you to be embarrassed by me. I don't want you to be ashamed of the intensity and the zeal with which I approach my worship. So let me just, let me just get back into a, a reserved demeanor. But rather than that, David says, if you thought that was something, let me just show you something. If you thought I was a little bit out of line with what I've already done, I, I just thought I was doing what was acceptable or what, what was the least that should be done. And so if you thought that was something, I'm really going to do something now. I'm, I'm gonna take it to another level. I, anybody ever had, you in, in that, some of you are still there, but in that phase, those of us that are past it now, that phase of having small children, they get to acting a little bit crazy at times. Maybe it's in a car ride and, and, and it goes on at a certain level for a little while and it's okay, it's good, you tolerate it, but then they, they kind of take it to another level and finally you're like, that's enough. No more, that's enough. I kind of felt like there was a sound barrier between me and the back seats because that never really seemed to do a whole lot of good. David says, rather than you pushing me in a corner and me backing down because I'm bothering you by my worship, Rather than me giving in to your attitude, let me show you something that ought to really get you. And I want you to notice, it's not really the focus, but I just want you to notice something before we continue on here. Again, in verse 22, he says, I'll be yet more vile, I will yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight, and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, Notice, notice, the ones that she was talking about saying, you sure embarrassed yourself in front of them. What she really was saying was, you have embarrassed me. But she puts it on the maidservants. But notice what he says at the end of this verse of the maidservants that you're talking about. Actually, what I'm about to do is going to cause me to have honor in their eyes. Let me tell somebody tonight, there may be some critics that are watching you. And there may be some critics that are get, trying to get you to pull yourself back into your shell and just be reserved and quiet. And, and they're going to tell you that others are going to be bothered by what you do and how you live and the zeal that you have. What they're really telling you is you're bothering me because the ones they're saying are going to be bothered by what you're doing and how you're living and what you're believing are the ones that are really looking for somebody to show the way. I want you to listen I don't really want to take a whole lot of time on this, but it's some really good good stuff. I want you to listen. Matthew Henry says this about this these these verses we've read and what Michael says. How she taunted him. How glorious was the king of Israel today. What a figure thou didst make 
What a figure didst thou make today in the midst of the mob. How unbecoming thy post and character. Her contempt of him and his devotion began in the heart. But out of the abundance of that, the mouth spoke. That which displeased her was his affection to the ark, which she wished he had no greater kindness for than she had, but she basely represents his conduct. Meaning she was bothered by the fact that his passion for the presence of God was more important to him than his attention to her. His reverence for the presence of God meant more to him than what she thought about him. Be careful when those that are more concerned with selfish interest criticize you for your faith and your belief and your actions with regards to the power and the presence and the Word of God. Be careful that you don't let them cause you to silence and pull back at who you are because they've ultimately got an issue in their heart. Because really what Michael was saying, or at least part of what she was saying was, I am convicted by your actions towards the presence of God. And I'm not willing to act like you're acting, so the easiest thing is to get you to stop doing what you're doing. That which displeased her was his affection to the ark, which she wished she had no greater kindness for than she had, but she basically represents his conduct in dancing before the ark as lewd and immodest. Again, notice, notice, and I've always just taken it for granted, but I dug into it today. She accuses him of being immodest and being inappropriate, but she wasn't looking with the right perspective. Again, be careful when those that are up in the window watching you are judging what you're doing. Be careful that you give in to their criticisms because they may not actually be saying things about you. It may really be just the revelation of what's in their heart. And while really she was displeased at his at Add it as a diminution to his honor. She pretended to dislike it as a reproach to his virtue. That he uncovered himself in the eyes of the maidservants as no man would have done but one of the vain fellows that cared not how much he shamed himself. We have no reason to think that this was true, in fact. David no doubt observed decorum and governed his zeal with discretion. But it is common for those that reproach religion thus to put false colors upon it and lay it under the most odious characters. To have abused any man thus for his pious zeal would have been very profane, but to abuse her own husband thus, whom she she ought to have reverenced, and one whose prudence and virtue were above the reach of malice itself to disparage, one who had shown such affection for her that he would not accept a crown unless he might have her restored to him, was a most base and wicked thing and showed her to have more of Saul's daughter in her than of David's wife or Jonathan's sister. She wasn't, she wasn't really truly sincerely disturbed. 
by his actions. It was just the way in which it convicted her. But again, her response, his response, was not to sheepishly go over into the corner and hide. Something rose up inside of David. And I pray that in this sanctuary tonight before we leave here, those of you that are here and those of you that may be watching tonight that are a part of this congregation, I pray that something would rise up inside of you like what David had rise up inside of him. Accuse me of what you want to accuse me of. Criticize me for what you want to criticize me of. But if it's founded in my passion and my zeal and my love for God and the things of God, if you think that was something, you just hang on. Because I'm not going to back down by your intimidation. In fact, I'm going to do like Shema did. And I'm going to decide I'm going to hold this ground. Because ultimately, I didn't read it. I meant to, I meant to state it earlier. And what, what was the primary reason why he defended that? ground. It wasn't anything really special about that ground. The reason he defended that ground is because that ground belonged to the Lord. And he made up his mind, I'm not just going to flee a battle because that's the easy thing to do. This ground belongs to God. I've come to preach to this congregation tonight that in 2020 and what we're facing and what we're going to face in the future, it's not time to keep giving up ground. And it's not time to keep fleeing and running. It's time for something to rise up inside of us that says if you think that was something, you just hang on because you haven't seen anything yet. Let, let's, let's have a little, let's have a little inter- group interaction here. I'm going to say a word and I want you to say basically the first thing that comes to mind. We've got a few comedians here, so this may not work as according to plan, but nevertheless, I'll trust that the majority of you will help me. A whopper. A Big Mac. Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. Starbucks. All the comedians are starting to come out of their shells. We're going to have to hurry up. Probably all the oranges. All of you golds are working well with me. Uh, What else? Let's see. ESPN. HGTV. If I think I heard who said that, um, you may want to email me for some counseling. We may need to help you out a little bit. You don't go to ESPN to get decorating tips. You don't go to HGTV to watch a football game. 
You don't go to Five Guys to get a good pizza. You don't go to Jiffy Lube if your air conditioner at home broke down. I just looked right before service. Years ago, Domino's was the go-to pizza for our family for a while. That was probably even pre-kids, really. Man, Domino's. Boy, that was Domino's. That was Domino's was the pizza place, man. Domino's. And for years, Domino's served pizza. But I just checked. I thought this was the case. I just checked before service. You can now get chicken at Domino's. You can now buy get sandwiches at Domino's. Because apparently Domino's recognized they were losing their place in the market by just selling pizza. And so they diversified what they were offering. I'm just going to tell you right now, if I'm hungry for a sub, Domino's does not cross my mind. If I'm interested in some chicken, Domino's is not the place I'm first thinking about going. In fact, I don't even know the last time I've eaten Domino's pizza. If we're eating pizza of my choice in this area, it's right up in Arnold at Bella Italia. My opinion, best pizza around. You have your opinion. That's your right to be wrong. I don't... You understand where you're going and what you're going to get. Again, Domino's and many other other businesses, some that have gone out of business, have done this. They haven't stuck with their place in the market. And so they diversify trying to appeal. Let me tell you tonight, the church was never called. The church was never given a commission to diversify, to please the world, to draw a crowd. Somebody help me out. What is the name, the full name? If you don't know it, if you can see it, just a a clue. It's right here on this pulpit. What's the name of this church? The full name. I'm not sure how some seem to miss it, so let me just remind those of you that are here tonight, those of you that are watching, and if somebody else needs to know it, please remind them for me. This is an apostolic church. This is an apostolic church. And if you want something besides an apostolic church, they're all over the place. But this is an apostolic church. It started in 1970 as an apostolic church. And by the help and grace of God, when Jesus comes, it's going to be an apostolic church. I wonder if I've got anybody tonight that will join with me like David said. And if you don't like it, that's your problem. It is what it is. (laughs) 
I'll give you the context of why I said what I said a few moments ago and I wasn't just spouting off at the mouth. I do not believe as a pastor or as a preacher that I have a right to come to a pulpit at any time and preach what I want to preach because it's what's on my mind. You just hear me tonight, Antioch Central, to the best of my ability. I'm not saying I've never failed, and I'm not saying I won't fail, but I approach this pulpit with great respect and honor for what it represents, and I don't have a right to devalue this pulpit by coming to it and preaching an agenda that's my agenda. That's not my right. And so by the help and grace of God, if I ever come and preach something that has anything to do with what may be currently going on, I've done the best of my ability to search my heart to make sure that I'm not getting up with an agenda, but I'm getting up with a word from God. And I pray tonight and any other night, if it ever is just my agenda, that God would let it be the biggest flop there ever is. I'm just going to tell you, in the last three months, I've never been so battled and intimidated in all of my ministry. And I'm not the only one. Maybe you haven't discussed it with others, and I haven't discussed my stuff with you, but I'm not the only one. And so I've come tonight, I trust in the will of God to declare to this congregation, it's not the will of God for Michael sitting up in a window criticizing what you're doing, how you're living, what you are, to cause you to go hide in a corner, but for something to rise up and says, if you think that's something, I'm not backing down because of your intent. I'm not changing just to please you. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. I'm afraid that the consumer mentality has crept its way into the church. And we used to Burger King... Burger King used to be the, not just because of my dad, most of the, several of us in the family that liked burgers for years, Burger King was the choice. If we were getting, let's go to Burger King. I don't know when the last time I've eaten at Burger King. Because, and I'm not saying it's the best anywhere, but for me, my opinion, you have your opinion. And we can we can each have our opinions, but if it's if I'm if I'm going to get a burger locally and it's my choice and it's kind of a fast food option, I know there's probably some sit down places with some really good burgers, but I'm talking more fast food. If we're going to get a burger and it's my choice of where we're going, I'm going to Five Guys. Good burgers and great fries. I just. My wife's the only one that knows this. Now I'm letting the cat out of the bag. Probably shouldn't. I don't want to get the grief from it. But I just signed up at least for a three-month trial period on Weight Watchers on Friday. Trying to get some of this COVID off as some of you are. And I really, I, I really, I was just signing up. I really wasn't officially starting. I was just figuring out the app and all that and... Guess where we ate Friday evening? So I decided Friday evening, I, 
I'd go ahead and just experiment and put in my meal. Those of you that are familiar with Weight Watchers, my daily allotment right now is supposed to be 28 points. My meal, that doesn't count anything else I ate earlier in the day, which actually I think was mainly a banana and not really anything too much junk or whatever, but my my one meal at Five Guys on Friday evening was 44 points. I just had a burger, fries, and a soda. Man, I tell you what, though, I, I some light bulbs went off. I understood from that why I'm what I am. But you, you, when it comes to that, when it comes to your eating, when it comes to the car you drive, the clothes you wear, when it comes to where you live, when it comes to all of those things, as much as you can afford it to get what you want, get what you want, go where you want to go, wear what you want to wear, value-wise, price-wise. If if you want to go to the most expensive places, do it. If you want to go to the thrift store and try to get the expensive stuff cheap, do it doesn't matter when it comes to your shopping and your eating and your life. That's the way it works. It's a free country. You pick and choose. But when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the body of Christ, it is not a consumer mentality. Well, I don't really like this. And so if you're not going to change to please me, I'm going to go someplace else. This isn't dominoes. This is an apostolic church. If you don't think baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost by evidence of speaking in tongues, if that's not on your menu, if that's not your liking, that's your prerogative. It's not our responsibility to change, to please what you want. If that's not what you want, there's all kinds of places you can go. But this is an apostolic church. Oh, God, let some people get the ad. I'm not talking. I'm I'm, going to say it again. I'm going to try to say it one time quickly and leave it alone. I'm not here talking about attitudes and justifying wrong attitudes, wrong spirits. I'm not justifying Phariseeism. I'm not talking about all of that. Because if you're a true apostolic, you won't be a Pharisee. If you're a true apostolic, you won't look down on people because you think you're self-righteous. If you're a true apostolic, you won't walk around judging everybody. Don't throw the apostolics out with the bathwater because some that profess to be apostolic don't act like true apostolics. I'll say this one as generically as I can so as not to unnecessarily offend anybody. You want to go to church and dress however you want to dress? Have at it. But this is an apostolic church. And this apostolic church is not changing because your fleshly preferences don't like it. If you don't like five guys, go to Burger King. 
And if that's the way you feel about church, find you another one. But we're not going to back down and change who we are and what we are because a Michael is up in the window and bothered by what we're doing. We got to do it with a right attitude and a right spirit and a right motive. All of that goes without saying. But we don't change to please. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse number 1. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll and go speak unto the house of the Lord. Understand this is a vision that Ezekiel is having. And this roll represents the word of God. Eat this roll and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness and he said unto me son of man go get thee unto the house of Israel and speak my words unto them I want you to hear I'm, I'm reading I'm getting to more than this in this passage but I want you to hear these next two verses I want you either on the screen or in your Bibles your devices I want you to read along if you would I don't mean out loud but I want you to read the words as well Verse 4 again, he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee unto the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. Speak with my words unto them. Don't go speak with your words. It's also in the book of Ezekiel where he talks about the priest putting no difference between the clean and the unclean. The holy and the profane. I want you to go speak my word. Not your words, my words. Verse 5 for thou art not sent. You, you, gotta, you gotta get this and understand there is, there is, there's, there's typology here. Don't read it just as a literal for, 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 for what it's saying literally. Read it for what it represents. And if you don't understand what it represents, I'll help you with that in just a second. You are not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. I'm not sending you to the sinners. I'm not sending you to the world that's different, Brother Lewis. I'm sending you to the people that you know. I'm sending you to my people. And now watch what he says. Not too many people of a strange, not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language whose words you can't understand. I, I'm not sending you someplace where they don't understand. I understand. I, I try, and, and hopefully others that are especially part of leading in a service or preaching, especially, a, a, I would say, first and foremost on a Sunday morning because that's when we, we have the most guests. And, 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 and as does, I think, any church, any, any denomination, whatever, we, we have sort of our lingo. We, we have things that we say that we understand. And so it's, it's important, especially if you're trying to reach people that are, that are, that if your focus is people that may not understand what it is, this apostolic thing, you, you don't talk in ways that they can't understand it. 
And so when you, I mean, if you go out and witness to somebody on the street and, and you're giving them all kinds of Brother Hughes typology in the Old Testament without some fundamental basic principles, they're probably going to stare at you like you've lost your mind. So that, that's, that's kind of the gist of what he's saying here. I'm, I'm not sending you to a group of strangers that don't understand what you're saying. One of the greatest blessings of my ministerial development was teaching chapel at Antioch Christian School. And then for the nine years of traveling around on Sunday mornings, we didn't just go to the congregation and preach to adults. We went to the, to the children's outreaches and I spoke to them just like I'd I spoke to them as well as I would speak to a... Uh, this isn't coming out the way I mean it, so I'll try to fix it in a moment. I spoke... I, I, I preached there just like I preached other places, except I didn't preach there like I preached other places. I tried to preach there in a way they would understand. I didn't go in there and talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and all of these deep things of the Spirit. They didn't get that. Nothing wrong with them. They're just children. So that's what the Lord is saying. I, I'm not sending you someplace. And, and watch this next. When I read this, I, I, I read these verses today in the context of where I'm getting to. I, I was so, I was troubled, I guess, would be the best way of saying this. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have hearkened unto them. You get what he's saying? Y'all still here? Not just physically. I know you're here physically. If I would have sent you, I'm not sending you to those that won't understand what you're saying. I'm not sending you to a people where you can't speak their language. But if I sent you there, they would actually listen. They would actually obey. Kind of sounds like Jonah. I don't want to go to Nineveh, God. I'm going to get down to there to those people that you're upset with and you've said you're going to you're going to kill them all and you're they're going to repent and you're going to forgive them. I don't want to go there. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I think the Lord is saying here to Ezekiel. Verse 7. But the house, this is where I'm sitting. Boy, this is great. You know, I just, I would just love sitting in my office right before service and God tell me, this is the word I've given you, but they ain't going to hear it. They're not going to listen to you. They're not, you're going to, this is what I want you to preach, but they're not going to receive it. Listen, God, let's just let me figure that out while it's going on. I'd rather not go into it knowing. The house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Again, he's not talking about the sinner. Anybody listening to me? Anybody? I don't usually fish for a response. I'm fishing, okay? The people that I love, the people I'm sending you to, my people, they're impudent and they are hard-hearted. Behold, listen, Ezekiel, this is what you're going to encounter. 
But I want you to know I've taken care of that in advance. Here's how I'm taking care of it. I've made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads. And as an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. He said, I'm going to give you a hard head, Ezekiel. Because you're going to face some opposition and you're going to go preach something they're not going to want to hear and they're not going to respond to. And so I'm going to give you a hard head so you don't back down. Oh God, if the church ever needed a hard forehead. If the church ever needed a hard forehead, 2020 is the time in which the church needs a forehead like Flint. That it doesn't matter what the opposition of the world is. And it doesn't matter what the opposition of the devil is. And it doesn't matter what the opposition in the church may be. That something rises up inside of us. That we understand, I've been God called. I've been God chosen. I've been God sent and if that's what I can rely upon I'm not going to back down I'm not going to change I'm not going to become something to simply be a pleaser of people that want to sit up in a window and look down with a critical attitude and spirit I think that's what David was demonstrating Okay, Michael, you want to criticize me? You don't know how hard my head is. I'm going to say it again. I don't, hopefully I don't need to keep saying it, but I'm going to say it for the record. I am in no way endorsing a wrong attitude and a wrong spirit. That is not what I'm saying. If I haven't proven that and by my ministry and my lifestyle by now, I don't really know what else to do. I don't believe that pleases God in the least bit. I don't believe an elder brother attitude pleases God at all. When the elder brother sits around and looks at those that have just gotten out of the pig pen and he's jealous and envious. You know why? You know why? You know what I think the elder brother's real problem was? He was mad because he had been continuing to do the right thing day after day, day after day. And his brother goes off and parties and has a great time, blows his portion of the inheritance and comes back home. And his father receives him with open arms and acts as if nothing had ever happened. And the elder brother proves that his motive for what he was doing was not right. Because if his heart had been right, he would have been in the middle of the celebration. At the risk of offending him, and I'm pretty confident it won't happen. Sitting right back there on the front seat of that back section is a young man born and raised in this church, but over the last couple of years has gone through some struggles. But over the last couple of months, he walked back into the father's house. You know what, I'm not going to sit around and look at Brother Brian Evans and think, man, all the years you were doing whatever you were doing, I've been here and I never left. You need to pay your dues. Forget that foolishness. 
Whether it's the sinner or the prodigal, when they walk into the father's house, don't let it be the father that's calling for the celebration. Don't let it be the father that's calling for the party. You let it be the elder brother that's right up in the big middle of it that says, I know it's not, I, it's, I'm not just going to let it be you as the father that's celebrating the prodigal or the sinner, but I'm going to be in the middle of the party. I'm going to be in the middle of the celebration. Celebration. I'm on it and I'm just going to stay on it for a few moments. When a prodigal walks back into this sanctuary, I don't care how long they've been gone. I don't care what, what lifestyle they've been living. I don't care how far down they've gone. Gone. Let it not be said one time that what they, what they received and what they felt from this congregation was an elder brother attitude. So I'm going to say it again. True apostolics have a right attitude. True apostolics have a right spirit. True apostolics are not looking down their nose at the rest of the Christian world or at sinners or prodigals. That's not a true apostolic. You know what? I'm in it. I, I, I'm in it now. I should have wore my all-in button tonight. I'm sick and tired of getting put in the labeled with everybody that's got that kind of an attitude. Because the bottom line is it's a minority. But you know what? The devil's pretty cunning. And he knows how to get the minority in the right place at the right time. Or I should say the wrong place at the wrong time. We don't change. We don't put new stuff on the menu. That's not the way it's done. We don't alter who we are and what we are to make everybody feel welcome. They ought to feel welcome by our attitude, by our spirit. Their feeling welcome should not be because we're simply trying to please everybody. God, give us a hard head, not towards you. Of course, if you get one to, towards him, he'll, he's, he's got a harder one. <laughs> when it comes to the spirit of intimidation of this world, give us a hard forehead like Flint. When it comes to the spirit of this world and the spirit of this age that's trying to push Christians and trying to push Bible-believing people into a corner to be ashamed and to be silent, let there be a forehead that's as hard as flint that rises up and says, if you think you're just going to intimidate me into changing, I refuse to be pushed into a corner. I'm going to stand my ground and hold my ground, and I don't care if it's a whole troop. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to abandon it. It belongs to him, and I'm going to fight for it. There's a woman in the Bible, not for good reasons. Her name is Jezebel. Jezebel, we 
hear about her because of her encounter with Elijah the prophet. Jezebel worshipped Baal. For some reason, Ahab chose to marry her. She wasn't. She wasn't about Jehovah. And she fought against him. She fought against the people of God, the prophet of God, and you know the story. He has the he has the the encounter on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, and 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 fire comes down from heaven, and all of that, and and. And, and Jezebel really has become representative of a spirit that wants to silence, especially the pulpit. And wants to intimidate the pulpit in preaching truth. Hopefully, for the last time tonight, I am not at all, again, saying that there is any right to knowingly, consciously be offensive or unkind. Absolutely none. Jezebel wants, don't, don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what I got to do. Don't tell me right and wrong. Don't preach that kind of stuff to me. And so Jezebel is a, is a spirit that the church fights against. But you know what's interesting? I've used this before and some of you have heard it and some of you know it already, whatever. But, but you know, you, you, you know, and the, the Bible names are significant. Most Bible names are significant in the meaning of the name. It wasn't just a lot of, especially the, so the significant characters, the God-called characters of the Bible. Their, their, their parents weren't just sitting around with their little 700 names for boys book, flipping through, trying to figure out which one they liked, which one sounded good. The name had meaning. And, and I would think, I would think that based on the character that Jezebel was and based on what she represents, I would think that her name would reflect that. Do you know what Jezebel's name means? Chaste. Free. From carnal connection. Doesn't mean, well, I can't think of any bad things off the top of my head right now. Doesn't mean some bad thing. This isn't really a bad thing, but example, Jacob was a supplanter, schemer, and God changed his name to Israel. But her name was was not reflective of her character. Her name means chaste or free from carnal connection. And Fawcett's Bible Dictionary says this, One whose name belied her nature. Because actually she was licentious, fanatical, and stern. You better be careful. The name may mean one thing, but the spirit may be a different thing. You better not get deceived just because the name sounds right or the name's got the right meaning, but the character is really something different. 
she was finally thrown down from a window and died. Listen to this in Revelation. We find her name mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 verse 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Those are some, those are some really complimentary things that he's saying here about this church. But now watch what he says. It notwithstanding, in spite of that, I've got a few things against you because you suffer the woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent for her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent. Of their deeds. As is often the case, the Message Bible just kind of has a way of saying it. Verse 19 I see everything you're doing for me impressive. The love, the faith, the servant, the service, and persistence. Yes, very impressive, very impressive. You get better at it every day. You do a great job at it, but why do you let Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, mislead my dear servants into cross-denying? That's that's the cross, not cross-dressing. Why do you let her lead my people in denying the cross and self-indulging religion? I know this is not a great, exciting ending to your 4th of July weekend. I can't apologize for doing what I believe I'm supposed to do. You, you let my servants lead into denying the cross and into self-indulging religion. If that is not a description of 2020, Paul said it this way, a form of godliness, but denying the power. Go to church, do your little worship thing, punch a spiritual clock, but you, you, you won't let it run your life. You won't let it run your life. I, I'll let you have my Sunday morning, but the rest of it's mine. I may give you my Sunday night, but the rest of it's mine. A self-indulging religion. I gave her a chance to change her ways, but she has no intention of giving up a career in the God business. A career in the God business. They're singers. They're singers that have left a career as a secular music artist. Because they could make more money as a contemporary Christian music artist. That's a God business and that's not what God intended. 
I gave her a chance to change her ways, but she has no intention of giving up a career in the God business. I'm about to lay her low along with her partners as they play their sex and religion games. Live however you want to live. Do whatever you want to do. Just sprinkle it in with a little bit of God. I don't know about you. Maybe some of you got, if you do this, then that's because you got some kind of medical issue going on. I've never gone in the kitchen looking for the salt shaker and just stood there, ah, salt. Salt is the seasoning. Salt is what you put on the main thing. Part of the problem we've got today is God and a walk with God and living for God has become the seasoning. It wasn't intended to be the seasoning. What you and I are doing tonight, what this represents, was not intended to be the seasoning of our life. It's intended to be our life. I'm not here tonight to sprinkle a little bit of God into my world. I'm here tonight because God is my world. I'm not here tonight so I can go to heaven. I'm trying to get to heaven. I simply come here because this helps me get there. I'm not going to read it again, but it says, Michael criticized David. That's not necessary. You don't really have to do all that. You don't have to act like that, David. You can sit up in the window like me and be smug and look down on all of that, and, 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 and that's all you need to do. But I believe it's that last verse in... In that chapter, chapter, whatever chapter it was. In fact, I will just read it now that I've gone through that much effort. Second Samuel 6 and 23. Therefore, Michael, therefore, you English scholars help me out. That word therefore there is basically saying, because of, right? Because of the previous verses we read earlier. Because of her criticism, because of her attitude. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. Don't let somebody sitting up in a window, looking down with a critical attitude and spirit, Calls you to back down from being who God has called you to be. Because what you're missing is they're not producing any fruit. It's the fruitless that are usually the critical ones. It's the ones that are bearing no fruit that want to sit up in the window and criticize those that are down in the street giving it everything they are got. It's the ones that are feeling convicted sitting up in the window looking down at those that are giving it everything they've got. It's those that sit there and end up spiritually barren. I wonder if we got any Davids here tonight. 
wonder if we got any Davids tonight that say, you know what, I'm sick and tired of trying to be pushed into a corner. I'm sick and tired of trying to be intimid- or being intimidated by the spirit of this age. I'm sick and tired of somebody causing me to try to sell something that's not my, my job to sell. This is, you you got to bear with me. I, I know this, this is an adjustment for all of us. It's a, it's a reset trying to figure out how to get to a close without a, <laughs> an altar call. I, uh, I, I'm going to say this as, as vaguely as I can. But recently, recently, Isaac, I know you've no, I know you've heard it, others have, but I just used it. I think last Sunday morning. But Psalm seventy three, Psalm seventy three, Psalm seventy three. I, I I reference Psalm seventy three on a somewhat regular basis because Psalm seventy three to me is a depiction of what every believer goes through. And I think many times, if you don't really know what it says, just the brief summary is the psalmist says, I I got to looking, I got to looking at the prosperity of the wicked. I, I got to looking, I got to looking at everything that seemed to go so well. And he says, it was almost too much for me. Because what he's, what he's saying is everything's going good for them. And here I am trying to be righteous and live right. And, and everything's going bad. Anybody ever felt that way? Y'all are asleep if you can't respond to that one. I'm sorry. Here I am trying to live right. I go to church, I pray, I read my Bible, and my world is falling apart. And I watch people that are living an ungodly life, doing whatever they want, and they're in good health, they got lots of money, everything seems good. I don't get it, I don't understand it. I'm trying my best to live according to this book. I'm trying my best to keep my life submitted to this book and to the God of this book. And and my world's falling apart. I, I got things going wrong. I got sickness in my body. I got problems in my household. But everybody else seems like they're okay. Said I said, it was almost too much for me. Until... Until I got into the presence of God. And when I got into the presence of God, I started to see things differently. Recently, more than ever before, that verse came alive to me. It came alive to me. Esther, come here, please. Timothy, Nathaniel, just come. Or Elizabeth, come stand by Nathaniel. Verse came alive to me, brother Isaac, because there was a, there's some situations in which I have been a little bit envious of others. 
others who profess to walk with God in a relationship with God, but not quite like the one I've been taught all my life and now believe for myself. Brother Lewis, I, I got it, I got it. There was some times through the years, and again, I'm I'm trying to be very vague as best I can. There were some times through the years, I have to admit, I, I struggled a little bit. Like, man, I, I, I would kind of like that. I would enjoy that. I'd like to do that. I'd like to go there. I'd like to have that. But thankfully, by the grace of God, not because of some goodness on my part, because somehow God blessed me with a hard head, I stuck with it. I got to tell you, what I used to be envious of, when I look at what God has blessed me with, when I look at the fact that a month, a little over a month ago, I just celebrated 28 years of marriage. I'm not pausing for a clap. I'm sorry, I'm not. I no longer, it's no longer just about going in the sanctuary and seeing it different. I'm going to tell you, I now more than ever before see it. That what I didn't understand years ago that at times almost caused me to slip. Now, now, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. I don't have the perfect marriage, but I'm still married. I don't have the perfect kids, but I got four amazing kids. I don't have the perfect life, but I've got a blessed life. And I'm going to tell you tonight, if I would have let Michael sitting up in a window get to me, I would have given it up. Thank you. I don't, I don't, maybe this is one of those nights I'm just preaching to me. But I'm, I'm challenging you tonight. I'm going to try to keep my distance from y'all. But, but, but this is... Sorry, Brother Gross. I'm assuming you're watching. The Grosses were here this morning. You're probably watching. I'll, I'll come and fix this tomorrow myself. This. This. Is an apostolic church. Coles used to be Caldors in Annapolis. Before that, years ago, when I was a child, it was Murphy's Mart. That's where we shopped when I was a child. A building can change what's in it. 
A building can be a restaurant and become a store, be one store and become another store. A building, and there's one in Annapolis on West Street that can be a restaurant and can be a church and now can be a rental car place. But this started as an apostolic church. Brother and sister bishop, it's going to finish as an apostolic church. I wonder if I've got anybody tonight. You can do it physically if you want to, but I'm talking more figuratively than I am physically. But I wonder if there's anybody tonight that's willing to join with me and say, having done all to stand, I'm going to stand. And I'm going to withstand. And I don't care if it's a whole troop of Philistines that come against me. I'm not giving up this ground. I'm not letting go of what belongs to God. I'm not compromising on what's been handed to me. I'm not going to give up what's been passed down to me. She's been to the outdoor services, most of you know her, whatever. I know I'm speaking kind of third person-ish, but she hasn't been inside yet. I thought she was going to come. I guess she doesn't feel comfortable, and I understand. But I've got a 91-year-old grandmother that almost 80 years ago, as a little teenage girl sitting on a pool, on a, on a, uh, 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 a, not a pulpit, a porch. The wrong P word. Sitting on a porch, a poor little teenage girl living with her mother didn't have a whole lot. Somebody just happened. It was a coincidence. It wasn't on purpose. They weren't going for her. They weren't looking for her. She wasn't the kind of person they were out looking for. They just happened to give her a track. If I remember correctly, she actually, she actually asked for it. And 80 years ago, almost 80 years ago, that teenage girl walked into an apostolic church all by herself and was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and became an apostolic, became an apostolic preacher. And she's 90, almost 92. I don't drive the cars that she drove when she first got in church. I don't live the places she lived. All that may be different, but I'm going to tell you tonight, now 80 years later, I don't need a new and improved version over what she got 80 years ago. I don't need a modified version. I don't need a tweaked version. It worked for her, and it's working for me. Clothes. I need to dismiss. I need to. I don't care what YouTube says. I don't care what videos get posted calling out the United Pentecostal Church. I don't care what it says. I don't care. And if you care what it says, you might want to check where you are. You might be up in the window instead of down on the street. 
Call me what you want to call me. Say what you want to say about me. Think what you want to think of me. I'm not changing to just be popular. I'm not giving in to just become what you want because there is a world that is looking for the real and the genuine. church like you pick your burgers if you want to. You can pick church like you pick your car if you want to. That's your prerogative. But I know I'm amongst some people tonight and I know there's some people that are watching right now that that's not the way you feel about it. Your attitude is, I don't care what people say. I don't care what popular culture says. I don't care what the trends in religion are. I want to know what you say, God. I want to know what your word says. And I'm going to stand and hold my ground. We gotta go. We must go. We are commissioned to go into a lost world, but we're not commissioned to go into a lost world as undercover Christians blending in, looking like, being like everybody else. That's not our commission. Let's go. Let's go. But when we go, let's not stop being. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God, I'm just going to say it for the record. I mean to do it for you to do it with the right attitude, with the right spirit, God. I want to state that clearly. I want it to be done with the right attitude and the right spirit. But I pray that you would baptize this congregation with the kind of forehead you told Ezekiel about, a forehead that's hard as a rock that says you can say what you want to say about me. You can push me in whatever direction you want to try to push me in for your own convenience, but I'm going to stand. I'm going to withstand. I may get pushed over sometimes. I may get swayed sometimes, but my feet are going to stand firm. I'm not giving up this ground. Give us a spirit of David. Give us a spirit of David. Give us the spirit of David that won't be intimidated by a Michael. Give us the the spirit of David that won't be pushed into the corner because of a Michael. Give us the spirit of David that says you won't silence my worship. You won't silence my prayer. You won't change my walk with God. You won't push me into being what you want me to be. I'm going to be what God has called me to be. Ilaba 
y la mando robo chataye a la bombo y a ramando lobo chatayando lobo chatalaba y a ramando lobo chataye que lobo chatayando robo chataya Ramando lobo In the name of Jesus, 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 in the name of Jesus. I plead with you young people tonight I plead with you young adults tonight don't let the spirit of this age don't let the spirit of this world and more dangerously don't let a spirit of Jezebel intimidate you into being something different than what God has called you to be don't let the spirit of this age intimidate you into a living a lifestyle that is different than the one God called you to live principles of holiness are not just the doctrine of a church the principles of separation are not just the opinion of an organization it's the word of God the plan of salvation it's not just so we can have a corner on the market baptism in Jesus name Evidenced by speaking in tongues and believing in one God is not just so we can have a niche in the market of religion. It's not it. We agree together. Jezebel. Jezebel's not going to silence us. Jezebel's not going to intimidate us. Jezebel's not going to push us in the corner and intimidate us because we're making her uncomfortable going to stand when we've done everything we can do when we've tried with a right attitude and a right spirit when we've shown love and compassion and you want to walk away I'm still going to stand I'm still going to stand I don't know what the outcome would have been if David would have allowed Michael's words to cause him to go, put his garments back on, straighten up his hair, go hide in the corner. I got a feeling that would have marked a turning point in his life. I got a feeling that would have changed some things in his life. I use this word not lightheartedly, I promise you. I don't use this word lightheartedly at all. I'm not using this word to be insensitive. It's just a very good description of what I feel to say. 
Don't let Michael sitting up in the window criticizing you cause you to abort what God has in store for your future. Don't let Michael's attitude and how you are crossing what's comfortable for her cause you to abort what God has put in the womb of your spirit. This is not a suggestion, Nathaniel, so don't try to figure it out. (laughs) Find my key. Just referencing it. I don't think we sing it often, but we've sung it through years from time to time just to walk with Him means everything to me. Just to know He's there, His hand is leading me. And oh, this last line. Oh, if we could make this our true heartfelt prayer. Though the world may pass me by, Go their way. Just let me be. Just to walk with Him means everything to me. I'm going to say it again for the record's sake. I am not preaching tonight that we just sit in the walls of this sanctuary and be cute little apostolics. That's not what I'm preaching. I don't, it's not let the world pass me by and just let them go to hell. That's not what that means. What that means is the world may pass me by because they've got desires and, and things they want to do that's different than what I'm doing. I'm not going to let that get me off course of doing like Enoch did and just simply walking day by day. Father, I trust that by your grace I have preached tonight what you have given me to preach. God, I pray tonight before this people that if anything I've preached, if anything I've said has simply been my flesh and was not given by you, make it clear. Make it known. At the very least, God, make it known to me so that I can correct my course. God, if in fact I have preached what you've given me and I've said what you wanted me to say, then I'm asking you, God, to do for us what you told Ezekiel you would do for him. Give us a forehead like flint. Give us a forehead that can withstand the pounding of the enemy against us. That can withstand the weapons the enemy would use to attack us with. And that like Shema, we would not give up the ground that you have given us. In the name of Jesus Christ. Pray, God, for every person that's in this sanctuary, every person that's watching or that will watch that's a part of this congregation that you've given me the responsibility to pastor. Again, God, with the right attitude and with the right spirit, give us the determination that David had 
give us the mindset that David had. I'm not going to change just so I can please people. I'm not going to change just so I can appeal to someone's flesh. You, God, pleasing you, doing what you want me to do, being who you want me to be, who you've called me to be, is the first and foremost priority. I pray, God, for every person a part of this congregation, every believer, God, that may hear this message that you would do the same. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.